like that. You Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to like this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all are having a fantastic week up until this point. Welcome to Hump Day edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I was thinking of the, the camel. I think it was Geico, those old Geico commercials. I was playing the logo game on Sunday, and that, that popped up. It wasn't one of the things for the logo game. It was one of the things I thought of, and I haven't thought about that in years. But now, since we did that Sunday, and since we're doing a show today for Wednesday, I thought it'd be fun to bring that back up again. Now, before we get into what we're actually here to talk about today, let's go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also go to theloganblackmanshow.com. Go to the blog section, check out some of the blogs we have posted up to date. We do not have our quarterback rankings out for you for today, but they will be here, I believe, by Friday. But don't hold me to that. It might be Saturday, but just stay tuned for that. And then... You know, the main important thing you got to go on here and make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. The and or, the or is for if you have an Android and you can only do it on Spotify. The and slash or is for you iPhone users who have Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. And make sure to leave a rating out of five stars on both of them. It would leave me with great joy to see you give a five-star rating. If you felt like it was up to that standard to give it a five-star rating, that'd be freaking awesome. If you didn't feel it was that way, well, that would be freaking bad. That would not make me feel very good. That would be not poggers of you to not do that. But you can give it whatever rating you so please, as long as you just leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Now, for Logan <coughs> and uh, the Blackman household, it was a little bit of a rough weekend. It was a little bit of a rough weekend. I, the only thing I won this weekend... So I guess you and I got a dub, big-time dub against ninth-ranked North Dakota. Shutout victory. I think it was you and I's first ever shutout victory against a top-10 team. But then Sunday, I won logo game. I won the logo game. It was a very fun game. Long game. Started to get boring towards the end of the game just because there's all these old-ass logos. Sorry, I got a little bit of uh, uh, spices down my throat from making chicken. I I put a little too much in there. So if I'm coughing a bunch throughout the show... It's probably because of that. I'm trying not to get sick, though. I got a glass of water with me. We got the candles going. We got the freaking Diamondbacks versus Philadelphia Phillies. Game 7 to go to the World Series. We already know the Rangers are going to the World Series now. We will see who goes to the World Series from this series. Obviously, I would appreciate the Phillies one because they have more the most Cubs players. I'm currently rocking my Kyle Schwarber jersey, who's up to bat right now. So forget what we were talking about. Here's Kyle Schwarber. First pitch of the game, or first pitch of the, the at-bat for the Phillies. We're at the bottom of the first inning, 1-0 Diamondbacks. Low pitch, good take by Kyle. Big Kyle Schwarber leadoff hitter. I think that's hilarious, Kyle Schwarber's leadoff hitter. But hey, he's super effective when he hits when he hits the ball. When he doesn't, he's a lot of swing and misses. There's another pitch, swing and a miss, just right on cue. Swing and a miss from Kyle Schwarber. I love Kyle Schwarber. So I don't know if I've told this story on here before, but Noah, a couple friends and I in high school, it was me, my friend Noah, and my other friend Ethan, we went to Principal Park. It was Team USA's college select team taking on Cuba. So it was a very big game down at Principal Park, and we were excited to go. Like, going to Principal Park is just fun in general, but now you get to see, like, future prospects potentially in the MLB playing at Principal Park. It makes it even more exciting because that was around the time the I-Cubs were really fun to watch as well. But we go to the game, and we're sitting there. We're, like, row seven or something row six or seven we are right there we're down right behind home plate but kind of more down the first base side like it was a good good seat and all of a sudden this big ass dude goes up to the plate 
Massive dude. I don't remember how big he was at the time or how big this, how much he was listed. Oh, here's three and one count. Pitcher Schwarber right down the middle. But he was taken all the way. He was taken all the way. If Kyle Schwarber can get a base and he's got three balls, which is extremely rare, then, then he's going to try and take it. We'll see if he does anything here. Three, two count. Here's the pitch. And Schwarber makes connection, but is going foul. But going back to the story, we're sitting there watching the game, and all of a sudden this big-ass dude comes up to play. And we look at this guy, we're like, dude, this guy is freaking huge. This huge, big power guy here. And then all of a sudden he drops down a sacrifice bunt, and he legs it out to first. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. This guy is pushing like 270 pounds. I, he wasn't that big, but, you know, he was a big-ass dude. And we look up his name on the roster, and we go, oh my god, his name is Schwarber. Here's the pitch again. Schwarber swings, and it's a miss. Swing and a miss for Kyle Schwarber. Had a 3-1 count, and he ends up with a strikeout. That's very, you know, minus the 3-1 count, but the strikeout. Very on par. Swing and a miss on a low slider. Or I think it was a curveball. Never mind. I don't know pitches exact. I don't know exactly what they are. I can tell somewhat. I played a lot of MLB The Show. Quit baseball early on in my career, though. I play a lot of MLB The Show. Not recently, but I used to play MLB The Show a lot. But back to the story. Trey turning up the bat. And this guy lays out the first. We look at the roster and we go, oh my God, this guy's named Schwarber. That's such a fitting name for how big this dude was. And it was even funnier that he laid it out to first base. Like he was a freaking athlete. And like Schwarber, the only bad side to it is that he went to Indiana. And being Iowa fans, you know, it's not a, the most ideal thing to see someone from Indiana. And you're like, oh, I like this guy. Ah, oh, crap, he's from Indiana. Like that's not great. But. This guy was so cool. We were like, hey, this guy's awesome. Every time he went to bat, Schwarber, Schwarber. It was like, this is sweet. And then a few years later, like, I don't remember how long exactly, but like maybe a year, maybe a year. I'm sitting in my bed and the MLB draft pops on because as you know, especially back then, the MLB draft was not something that popped on like everybody was talking about. At least maybe, maybe the, the super like big time MLB fans were, but the MLB draft is not something that a lot of people generally watch. And it's not something that they really promote because you're not going to see these guys for like five years. And some of these guys never make it up to the major. Some guys fast track it like Kyle Schwarber. He fast tracked it to a certain extent. Like he went from double A up to the majors when they played the, I think it was the twins. I think it was that series against the twins. And of course he went back down to triple A, but came right back up after that. And I'm sitting there in bed and I get this notification. The Cubs drafted Kyle Schwarber. I texted Noah. I was like, oh my God, this is the guy that we saw at Principal Park. Like, this is the guy that laid down a, a bunt. Like, this is a big dude, and he's catcher, like, all that stuff. Like, this guy is awesome. Uh, my favorite team drafted him. I texted him right away when I saw that. And right now, I'm rocking my Kyle Schwarber jersey, my Cubs Kyle Schwarber jersey. I would say, out of all my favorite players, so growing up, my favorite player was Sammy Sosa. War number 21. Kyle Schwarber, one of my favorite Cubs players of all time, wore number 12. So it's just the number two and one. That combination is very nice for me. Now, my favorite Cubs player of all time, that being said, is Javier Baez. My favorite Cubs player of all time is Javier Baez, but Kyle Schwarber, not far off. Sammy Sosa, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, all those guys, love him. Love him. Great memories with all those guys. But, you know, Kyle Schwarber, I'll always have that memory. I'll always have that. That was one of the more fun moments I've had because it's even funnier that he's now in the majors. He's leading up for a team that could potentially go to the World Series. He's already a World Series champion. Battled back from a torn ACL that he got, I think, the second series of the season against the Milwaukee Brewers when he ran into Dexter Fowler. Tore his ACL, went down to Arizona, rehab, and then came back for the freaking World Series and got some big hits in the World Series as well. 
So I have nothing but respect for Kyle Schwarber, though he is insanely erratic. And now, you know, we got the should-have-been Cub Bryce Harper, who we were trying super hard to get to the Chicago Cubs. Remember that when we were up at UNI? If you've been listening to the show for a while now, because remember, this show's been kicking off since freshman year of college at William Penn. And then we went up to UNI, and we kept it going there, and the whole Bryce Harper versus Manny Machado, like, offseason about where these two are going to go. And everybody's like, oh, the Cubs got Chris Bryant. They're best friends. They're friends. They went to, they were from Las Vegas. Like, they're going to come to Chicago together. The Cub, one of the Cubs' biggest holes is in right field. Move Jason Hayward to center. Have Bryce Harper in right field. It's going to be awesome. And you know what the Cubs did that offseason? They signed Daniel Descalso. And then Bryce Harper obviously went over to the Philadelphia Phillies. He's gone to a World Series, and now he has a chance to go to another one. He's up to bat right now. We got a 1-2 count. Here's the pitch. It's high. Good take from Harper. But that was such a frustrating offseason. Machado, I never really thought was going to come to the Cubs. Didn't really care. I was all in on the Bryce Harper train. I was all in on the Bryce Harper train. But, you know, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. Daniel Descalso was a very (laughs) bitter pill to swallow after the whole, the Cubs are getting Bryce Harper. The Cubs are in the leaders for Bryce Harper. Oh, my God. They're the leaders for Bryce Harper. All offseason. And guess what? Daniel Descalso, fondly enough, is nowhere... As good as Bryce Harper. I know. I couldn't believe it either. It was insane when it happened. It was absolutely ridiculous when it happened. But hey, it happened. And we move on from it. But it hurts me now with Bryce Harper. He just did swing and a miss. Low and outs- low and inside ball. Not in the strike zone. Swing and a miss. So Phillies go 1-2-3. Schwarber, Turner, and Bryce Harper all go out. Not the most ideal start for the Philadelphia Phillies. Especially being down one nothing early on. But that's not important here. This This game is on right now. But the Cubs are not in the World Series. So we're not going to be the ones talking about it. It was crazy, though. At work today, Sean, who's in our office, big Cubs fan, he was like, it's been seven years since the Cubs won the World Series. He said all his Facebook notifications, all his Facebook memories were popping up from the NLCS, from the World Series, and all that stuff. It's like, man, that's seven years ago. I was at William Penn as a freshman seven years ago. That is absolutely insane. Seven years. That's crazy. Like, I was at a, a Magic Tigers football game a couple weeks ago, and it was homecoming. I think it was homecoming. I can't remember exactly what the occasion was, but the cheerleaders all had these blocks they were standing on. And they had all their graduating years on there. One of the blocks said 2026. That is 10 years after I graduated high school. 10 freaking years. That is insane. That absolutely blew my mind. That's one of the first times that I felt, like, really old. I felt old before. I felt old before. The first time I actually felt like bad about myself and where I was in my life was the 20, what what draft was it? 2016 NBA draft, I think. 2017 NBA draft. Whenever the Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, no, Mark, Lonzo, yeah, yeah, it was. Markel Fultz, Lonzo, Jason Tatum, that draft. That was one of the first times I actually felt legitimately bad about myself and where I was at in my life. Because there were people getting drafted that were younger than me. That was the first time in my life where I had been watching players get drafted that were either my age or younger. And now every time after that, players are always younger than me now. There's not a lot of 25-year-olds getting drafted that high, especially especially in the NBA. That's never going to happen. Having a first-round draft pick be 25 years old? Like, good lord. There's players who are seasoned vets that are 25 years old in the NBA. NFL... Sure, you might get a couple, but it's very rare. Very, very, very rare. I just saw on Saturday, Bo Nix had his 54th career start. His 54th or 55th. The most career starts in college football history. And what made it even crazier, to me anyways, I don't know how this will affect you, but what made this even crazier was the fact that his first college start was against Justin Herbert in Oregon. 
It was Oregon versus Auburn. And Justin Herbert got obviously drafted in 2020 in the Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Hurts, Jordan Love draft. And he's been in the NFL since then. He has had 55 or 54 starts in the NFL since then. So Bo Nix and Justin Herbert have had the same number of starts at college level and the NFL. That is kind of funny. That is kind of funny. And that was Bo Nix's first game as a start at Auburn as a freshman. He holds the record for most games started by a college. I don't know if it was college athlete or like college football player. I don't know if it's a football player in general or if it's strictly quarterback. I can't remember exactly, but there was a lot of people clowning him on Twitter going like, hey, get, time to get a job, dude. It's time to get a job. And it'll be intriguing to see where Bo Nix goes in the draft because of the age thing. He is talented, but we'll see where he goes in the draft. But we got some time till then. We'll talk about the NFL draft here in a little bit. But William Penn, I want to go there first. That's where I want to start off. Because I went down to the William Penn game last Saturday. It was homecoming. William Penn was playing Peru State. Me and Kevin, who has been on the show before, one of my good friends from William Penn, we he texted me like on, I don't remember exactly what day. It was like, a week before, maybe it was like the Friday. It was it was a little bit before the game, not like the day before. But he texted me and said, "Hey, you want to go to the William Penn? Are we going to a William Penn game this year?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm always down to go to William Penn game. It's a little bit of a drive, more of a drive for me now than it would have been if I was still at my parents' house." There's a drive to the left, easily caught by Brandon Marsh. He throws it back in. Rudder goes back to first. Still one nothing Philly, or still one nothing Diamondback. Sorry, and. We're, we're hanging out at the game. We're like, hey, you still want to go to the game? Yeah, I'm still down. So we go down to the game, watch a soccer game, because William Penn, I don't know if you guys have ever been down there, but there's a soccer stadium directly behind the, what is it called? The William Penn Community Stadium or something like that, Oskaloosa Community Stadium on the other side. I know Oskaloosa Community Stadium makes most sense, but I'm pretty sure it is William Penn Community Stadium. Could be wrong. Could be wrong. But we're sitting there in the stands watching. It's a little bit chilly, a little bit windy of a windy game. But it's funny because when we were there, when Kevin and I were there, and Zach and Justin, who have all been on the show before, when we were all there, William Penn obviously ran the triple option, which is a very fun offense if it works, and a really gross offense when it doesn't. When it works, it's damn near unstoppable, but when it doesn't, it is brutal to watch. It is absolutely brutal to watch if it doesn't work. But again, like against Grandview, we brought when Zach and Kevin were on the show, we brought this game up. Against Grandview our sophomore year, we as quarterbacks watched Georgia Tech film all week. We ran a play against Grandview our sophomore years that we never ran that entire year. I don't even remember what the play was called. We ran it that week. And our quarterback, I, 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 uh, I'm over-exaggerating this a little bit, but he ran for like 300 yards rushing or had 300 yards rushing. That's not accurate. I bet he had like 200 or something. Like, it's not. I got to find this. What did Tyler have rushing in that game? Because it was It was ridiculous. Like, they couldn't stop it. It was one of those games where they just couldn't stop anything that we did. And it was at Oskaloosa. It was down at William Penn, which made it even better. So it was 2017-18, right? Yeah, 34-14 against Grandview. On my birthday. No less. Oh, can I not look at the box score? No! They really don't have a box score for William Penn Grandview? 2017-2018? They updated the website, so they must have scrubbed it clean but that game was so much fun so much fun to watch like they absolutely torched them but then you get stuck in situations where like you're forced to throw the ball and it sucks because the defense knows you're throwing the football so now William Penn they don't run the triple option they got new coaches and all that stuff they run a spread so going from watching a team 
run the triple option to going to watch them run spread is a little bit of a shock to the senses. And like they're complete polar opposites of offensive schemes. Now you can run triple option sets kind of from a shotgun sense, but it is insane how much different, like the left tackle is, this was the, my favorite part about that. The left tackle wore 73 Zach wore 73. That left tackle absolutely dwarfs Zach. Absolutely. I got to see how big this guy was. Number 70. It was so funny that he wore 73. It was so fitting that he wore number 73. Where is he at? Bullshit. He was six foot tall, but either way, he was 285 pounds. He's not six foot. He's definitely not six foot. I'm six foot. There's no way I'm the same height as this person. 285. Yeah, I could see that, but these off the linemen are huge. Like they've got, they've got this dude right here. So we go in number order, like down. So Raymond O'Keefe, 285. We got 265, 285, 320 as a freshman. 320, 275, 320, 360, 265, 330, 265. Like these are some big dudes. There's 310, 285, 270, 275. There's some massive dudes on this offensive line. That was complete opposite of what we were when we came in as freshmen. Triple option offense need to be fast. You need to be in really, really good shape. Like that's why the, all the military schools run triple option. That's exactly why their offensive line are not big enough to do that because you don't really see a lot of 280, 290 pound offensive linemen or a lot of 280, 90 pound people in the military. You just don't see it. Slim down a lot. You'll see some taller people, but you won't really see any big individuals on the offensive line. This guy was massive, absolutely huge. But what was funny about this game is that because it was so windy, it made the offense a little odd, but not in the way you're thinking. They threw the ball a lot more than what I was expecting and threw it the same play like 90% of the time. It was all fade routes down the near sideline. That is like the only play they ran the entire time. And sometimes it works, sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes you get a penalty, sometimes you wouldn't. It was really weird. But what was made even funnier was that they got two passing touchdowns from that early on. I say early on, that was just that was just the final score. They got two touchdowns, and then that was pretty much it. They lost 13-24. But the first touchdown comes, they score, they kick off, and it lands like at the 30-yard line. The kickoff does. 25-30 yard line. The kickoff unit for Penn sprints down there, and there's nobody from Peru State like even thinking about touching the ball. I didn't know if they thought it was like a punt or something, or someone called a fair catch, which we'll get to it here in a little bit. But I don't know what happened, because no one really looked like they were trying to get the ball. There was a game, the Bills-Jets, like, years ago, I say years ago, probably like uh, a decade ago, where the Bills did that. The Jets kicked it off to the Bills, and the ball just sat like in the end zone. The Bills didn't do anything, and the Jets went down the field and recovered the football. And it was really funny. That was kind of like that. And William Penn would go on to capitalize after that play. So going up 13-7, the, the extra point would be missed. The snap was high, couldn't get it back down in time, got drilled. So it's 13-7. William Penn gets the ball back again. And... <laughs> I think it was the start of that. I forgot about this. William Penn deferred. William Penn won the toss and deferred. So what that means, pretty much, you're choosing what you want to do in the second half. You're letting the other team choose. So if they want to kick off, they can choose to kick off. They want to receive, they want to receive. And then you decide what you want to do in the second half. So normally what happens here when you defer, the other team chooses the kick. Or chooses to receive, sorry. Because you know that you're going to take the ball to start the second half. But what happened here, William Penn deferred, brought the kicking unit out. Peru State brought their kicking unit out. So it's like, what the hell's happening here? 
And it turns out William Penn deferred and Peru State decided to kick the football anyways. So William Penn got the ball to start both halves. It didn't matter in the end. They ended up losing 24-13. But it was still really funny when it happened. And then special teams again. Three hilarious things all happened on special teams. So you got the Peru State team deciding to kick the ball to start both halves. You got the weird ball drop into the 30-yard line. No one going to recover it from Peru State play. And then William Penn <laughs> was punting the ball. I don't remember what the, down, what the distance was, but it was fourth down, not close. Let's just put it like that. It was not fourth and one, if I remember correctly. So we're, not, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the punter decides that he's him. The punter goes, I am him, and decides to take off and run. But he didn't even get back to the line of scrimmage. I think he got like two, three yards and got absolutely destroyed. And this kid's tiny. He's listed at 5'9". He ain't 5'9". Like we talk about the dude being six foot tall. He ain't six foot tall. This dude ain't five nine. Both going the opposite directions of each other. The kick, the punter's going down. Dude six six foot going up. This dude calls his own number, says, I'm him. I took a DNA test and realizes I'm him. But it turns out his pronouns are actually they, them, because he's not him. He's not him. He got absolutely decked on the play. And what was even funnier, none of the coaches knew what was going on. None of them knew what was going on. Like, the second it happened, every single coach, oh, jeez. There's Baum, goes deep, going, going, gone. Phillies have tied it up. Alec Baum, bombs one to left field. Absolutely bombs one. Love to see. This was a guy that the Cubs were talking about trading for when Chris Bryant was getting up in the air when the Phillies got Bryce Harper and the Cubs were, you know, sellers. He was one of the people they were talking about. This is when he's still in the minor league, though. But the dude gets decked. All the coaches are like, or we went in the stands, we're like, what What was that? What the hell was that? And all the coaches are like, what was that? So we're all confused, like, oh, he just did that. The coach didn't call it, he just did that. And he got destroyed. I'm not joking, I think the head coach looked at the punter for about a minute and a half to a minute with his arms, like, down at his sides, like, questioning the entire play. Like, didn't say anything, just kept staring at him. I, and the punter was doing his best not to make eye contact with him. Like, it was a kind of a game of chicken. Does the coach break eye contact or does, the dude make, does he make eye contact with coach? Like, it was one of the weirdest places. This other dude started punching his helmet on the sideline. Like, not on his head. He had it in his hand and it was punching it with the other hand. Like, it was, it was such an odd play. I don't think anybody knew how to react. And then even more people in the crowd were like, oh my God, he just did that. Because back when I was at William Penn, we ran a lot of rugby-style punts. So for those of you who don't know what that is, you had the punter, and he rolls out to the right, or he rolls out to the left, and then he punts it or he runs it. William Penn didn't run that the entire game. This dude was just a stand-up punter the entire time, and then this moment decided, you know what? I'm him. I'm absolutely him. And he wasn't. He wasn't, which made it that much funnier. And I feel kind of bad for him, trying to make a play, it didn't work out, but it was really funny to see. It was really funny to see. And <laughs> then William Penn would obviously go on to lose the game. Peru State would get a bunch of fourth down conversions. So it was just the kind of game where a few mental mistakes from William Penn. He had a couple intercept, one or two interceptions from the quarterback as well. Ran the ball pretty decently throughout the game, but didn't do it enough. Threw the ball, again, a lot. At least it felt like it. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it felt like they threw the ball a lot, which again is a far cry for what William Penn was, not just when I was there, a year ago. <laughs> That's how different this is. So this quarterback came in 
got recruited by Coach Haft as a triple option quarterback, and now he's playing in the spread. He was the starter for both years. He's completely changed his style of offense. And he's like, you know what? We're going to we're gonna have a wee ball type thing. And he's playing well. He's having a decent season, but I just think it's really funny. That game in general was just really funny. And we ran into Ben. Shout out Ben. He was he was a former unit of the week, Ben Sherman. When we did the unit of the week back when we were up at UNI, he won unit of the I don't remember what exactly. He was deadlifting. It was either deadlift or hang clean. I can't remember exactly what he was. But we ran into him there, talked to him for a little bit, which is fun. But I, I was surprised how little other people there that were there. Usually when you go back to William Penn, everybody is there. I mean everybody. So I was kind of surprised to only see Ben, but it was still good seeing Ben. And then Kevin and I sat and watched the game, and it was it was a good day. It was a very good day. Just beside the loss. Beside the loss, but it was a good day. There was a lot of funny moments in the game, so I kind of made up for it. But the halftime show was kind of, was kind of odd too, but that's neither here nor there. Let's go to the main thing I know everybody wants to hear about. It took us halfway through the show to get to this point. But I wanted to sit on it for a little bit because I wanted you to sit on it as well. So you obviously know what I'm talking about. It's the Iowa game. Iowa versus Minnesota. A game where Iowa should never fear. Like, I remember a couple years ago, I went to the Iowa-Minnesota game with my dad. And Iowa, not Iowa, Minnesota was undefeated at the time. Tanner Morgan was there. Like, they were just, they were really, they were the hot team in the country. They played Auburn in their bowl game. Like, they were really good. They were undefeated. Iowa goes in, beats them. Beats them. It was awesome. And afterwards, they stormed the field. And I have never had an issue with people storming the field. If you want to storm the field, power to you. I mean, it's fun. I've never done it personally. I've only been there for one ever, once ever for a a storm the field thing. But it wasn't this game because I was already gone. I mean, I guess it, it was this game, but I didn't, I wasn't there when the storming the field took place. We were gone. Like the game was over, so we were like, hey, let's go. I saw they stormed the fields. Like, I get I like I like the idea of storming the field. I don't like it, and I understand Minnesota's undefeated. I understand that part. I don't get it from the standpoint of as Iowa, this could be, sound very big headed of me, especially coming after a loss. Iowa should never fear Minnesota. I'm sorry. They they shouldn't. The last time Minnesota beat Iowa at Kinnick before Saturday was 1999. Bill Clinton was president. Tom Brady was at Michigan. Like, all these different things were going on that just didn't exist at the time. That was the last time Minnesota beat Iowa until Saturday. So I've never sat down and said, man, I am nervous to play Minnesota. I have despised Minnesota my entire life. Like, we're looking at my big three least favorite schools in college football. Nebraska's number one. It's a two-way tie at second between Minnesota and Wisconsin, and then Iowa State's fourth. That's how you would rank this. Like, I cannot stand Minnesota. Never have. And, like, you'll watch get random Minnesota sporting events. It doesn't even need to be a Golden Gophers game. And it goes, who hates Iowa? We hate Iowa. You got all that stuff. I've never liked Minnesota. And I've also never feared Minnesota growing up. I remember we had a church camp we'd go to. I think it was called Lake Geneva. We'd go up to Minnesota. Obviously, a bunch of Minnesota kids up there. I was wearing my Legends of Iowa shirt, which was a camp I went to, like, I think it was my freshman year of high school. It was Brad Banks, Chuck Long. Like, it was a very fun camp. I was wearing this shirt, and one of the kids goes, there's Legends of Iowa. I was like, what? This come from Minnesota? <laughs> is this coming from Minnesota, who hasn't been relevant in this century? Like, anywhere close in this century? I understand Minnesota's had good players in their time. I'm not saying that. But to try and discredit Iowa and your Minnesota... 
Let's chill out here. And I'm pretty sure what makes it even funnier, I think Minnesota leads the all-time series, but that's not important here. In my lifetime, I've never once feared Minnesota. Never once. And going into this game, we talked about it on Saturday or on Friday's show. We we're like, oh my, here, Iowa's got a game. They, they can win. This is there's no reason Iowa should not lose it, should not win this game. There's no reason they shouldn't win this game. And a lot of the attention will go to the the punt return, which again we'll get to in a little bit. But there was a point in time where Iowa had negative eight yards of offense in the second half. Negative eight yards. Iowa's offense has negative eight yards this half. Having completed a single second half pass and has zero second half first downs against the number 63 total defense in the country. 63. Number 63 in total defense. I saw an article today from The Athletic. Iowa finishing the F with FBS least productive offense is pretty much likely. Currently 0.1 yard per play away from 131. Still have yet to still have to play top 60 defenses in Illinois and Northwestern and top 20 defenses in Nebraska and Rutgers, plus possibly a top five defense in the Big Ten title game, which again between looks like Michigan or Ohio State. But we'll get to the Michigan stuff, which is even crazier here in a little bit. Like there's no reason. I do not like the punt thing was huge. And I'll get to that again. We'll get to that in full real quick in a little bit. But this offense is brutal. Deacon Hill, I can't even really say anything that bad because he's the backup and I shouldn't be, like, expecting a ton. And I wasn't. I wasn't really expecting a lot. I didn't think he'd be this bad, though. Like, he's bad. Like I think every single throw he has leads the receiver directly into the path of a defender to try and take their head off. I think he has some sort of personal vendetta against Iowa receivers. I think he does. Like, it's it's insane. I've never seen anything like it. It is one like I can't even put him up there with like the worst quarterbacks in Iowa history because he's the backup to Deacon to Cade McNamara. But like Joey Lavas cannot be this bad. And I know Kirk Ferentz clearly does not like Joey Lavas, but he can't be worse than this. I don't care what amount of practice, how good he is in practice. Practice ain't the game. Practice ain't the game. Make the damn switch. If it's it cannot be worse than this. I know we've said this in the past. It literally cannot. This is some of the worst quarterback play I think I've ever seen from a big-time program with aspirations of a Big Ten title. Like, it's, it's insane. This offense is laughable. Like, the title of this athletic article is, like, sums it up pretty well. Kirk Ferentz in Iowa football's blatant case of nepotism is insulting the fan. Brian Ferentz is insane, but we can't even, like, talk about that anymore because we're, like, beating a dead horse at this point. That's kind of what it is. The offense is terrible. And it will only it's not going to get any better. And Iowa doesn't care. Like you've heard press conferences with Kirk talking about it. They really do not care what you think about the offense. They're going to do them and it's going to lead to games like this where you're playing a horrific Minnesota team at home in a place where they have not won since 99. You're wearing alternate uniforms which never wear yellow jerseys again. I hate yellow jerseys with a passion. Like, it was funny. William Penn wore a yellow jersey with navy blue pants. Iowa wore yellow jersey with black pants. This offense is not even, like, it's not even fun to, like, like, as a fan, you're sitting there, like, you're laughing because it's so bad. You can't even really laugh at it. Like, it's just, I'm not even going into games expecting to get first downs. I guess Wisconsin, they never crossed the 20-yard line in the second half. Maybe the entire game. Maybe the entire game. Like, they never got in the red zone one time. Won the game, which is all that matters to a lot of people out there. But for the crowd that say this offense is winning, why change it? This game they win 
yeah, it's easy to point out the thing, the 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 fair catch thing. It's easy to point that out, but they shouldn't have been in that situation regardless. They shouldn't have. There's no reason to be in that situation. This is not a good Minnesota football team. This is not. They're a bad football team. So if you're sitting there going about like this offense is winning, so why change it? Watch that game back. And yes, it's easy to point out the fair catch, which is one of the dumbest calls I've ever seen. I'm not like I don't want to sugarcoat that. That call was horrific. It is one of the worst calls I've ever seen. There's been some bad calls in the sport of football. Football's been around a long time. There's been some horrific calls in the day, but that's one of the worst I've ever seen. I'm not even joking. Like it's top three. It's top three. What made it even worse is that no player from Minnesota reacted to it like it was a fair catch. No coach on the sideline acted like it was a fair catch. The fair catch, in air quotes, in question here, was when the ball was on the ground. You can't care fair catch a ball when it's on the ground. And clearly states the arm has to be above your shoulder to make a fair catch call. And what make matters even worse is that Cooper DeGene broke like eight tackles and ended up scoring a touchdown. And they went to review it to see if he stepped out of bounds. And then one person like, oh, I did think that, that he called legal, which may be a flag. You can't go back and throw a flag now. And it, what makes it worse is that he scored a touchdown. And I don't even think this would have happened if he didn't score a touchdown. If he didn't score a touchdown, no one's talking about that. There's no going back to review. There's no going back, oh, he has a legal fair catch attempt, which I've never seen that before. Like, it's insane. That is literally one of the worst calls I've ever seen. But again, you cannot be in that situation. Why are you putting, why are you willingly putting yourself in that situation? They're not, again, they don't care. They're not looking to change at all. They've made it abundantly clear they're not changing. Whether it's the quarterback, offense coordinator, offense style, whatever. They are clearly not changing anything. Jeez. Jeez! My stomach's making the rumblies. Doesn't really hit the same when you're trying to drive a point home and your stomach's rumbling and you're burping. It doesn't really help, doesn't it? But man, that was crazy. That is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I never thought I'd see that called. And again, what made it worse is that he returned it and that no Minnesota player reacted. Every Minnesota player tried to tackle him. There's not one Minnesota player that stood there like, oh, I thought he called fair catch. There's no Minnesota coach freaking out after the touchdown going, oh, I thought he called fair catch. They were reviewing it for him stepping out of bounds. They weren't even reviewing it for his fair, his quote-unquote fair catch, which again was clearly not a fair catch in any circumstance. And then tinfoil hat time. Let's do this here. Let's have a little tinfoil hat time. I was watching game day that morning. So I went over to Brady's house, and we were making eggs. I brought eggs over for my chickens. Made eggs. We're watching college game day. Getting ready for football game. Like, it's it's fun stuff. And we see there on the TV, and Carly, his fiance, points it out. She goes, I was not 6-2. and two. On game day, they had Iowa at 6-2. and two. So I was like, oh, are they going to lose to Minnesota today? Is that how, are they going to lose to Minnesota today? Is that what's going to happen here? And it turns out they did. So again, 10-4 hat time. They, I was destined to lose from the start. I should probably take a sip of water. Iowa was never going to win this game. And I brought that up to Brady on Sunday as well. That made it even funnier. Like, <laughs> Iowa was never going to win this game. They're already 6-2 and two in the eyes of ESPN. 
So it was just destined to happen. And it happened. The referees must have saw that before the game and said, hey, we got to make sure I was a 6-2 and two so we ESPN just look stupid. Like, I, it could happen. It could have happened. I don't know. Again, tinfoil hat time. I saw 6-2 and two at 9 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I saw 6-2 and two at 7 o'clock Saturday night. I don't know. You do with that what you will. You do with that what you will. But I don't expect Iowa to lose any more games the rest of the year. I really don't. Even saying that, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost to Rutgers at this point. Rutgers is bowl eligible. It's not even a shot at really anybody right now. Rutgers is actually a pretty solid football team, which is crazy to think about. Going to Lincoln, Nebraska to play Nebraska. Wouldn't be shocked if they lost Nebraska. Before this game, I thought they wouldn't lose a game because it's like it's Minnesota, Northwestern, Illinois, Rutgers, and M- Nebraska. Why would Iowa lose any of these games? I forgot. Oh, do- <laughs> uh, Iowa's offense. And the easy thing, again, to point to is the kick thing. Which, again, is a horrific, horrific call. I've never seen it. I, I, I'll reiterate that forever. I've never seen anything like that. Where they've gone back to review it. I've never seen that before. Because, again, if he doesn't return it, it doesn't get reviewed. There's no penalty. There's no go back to call the penalty on it. There's nothing of, none of that. Call a fair catch when the ball's on the ground. Can't do that. And then you got no coaches, no players reacting like it was a fair catch. Even after he scored the touchdown. Not just at the time, but when he scored the touchdown. Arm is clearly not above his head or above his arm or above, above his arm, above his shoulder. Like, it's stupid. It's stupid. But there's no fixing anything for Iowa's offense. There's just not. They're not going to. Unless, here's an idea. Put Cooper DeGene at quarterback. I'm not being 100% serious, but at the same time, I am being serious. <laughs> like, what's the worst that can happen? What is the worst that can happen? We already know he's one of the best corners in college football. He could be a very solid quarterback. And I understand for people not wanting to do both ways. I understand that it's burning Travis Hunter out. I'm not being 100% serious with this. But in the same breath, I'm not even really being 5% serious with this because, again, I know it's not going to happen. I don't really want it to happen either, to be honest, because of the fact that he could get burnt out. And he's going to the NFL as a corner. He's not going to play any quarterback in the NFL. He's not going to play any quarterback at any level past this. So he's going to stick at corner because he's one of the best in college football. Mel Kuyper, I think, had him as his 11th or 10th best player in the draft which is insane, in a good way. I'm not saying that in the bag of it, like, oh, my God, I can't, why does he have him? Ten-? I'm not saying it like that. It's insane that he's one of the best players in college football. Like, I just saw this before I started recording the show. Of course, I didn't screenshot it. Really, of course, I didn't screenshot it. Do I have it still up? Oh, yeah, I still. Most covered snaps played without allowing a touchdown. Cooper Jean, 340. Not only is he an elite cornerback, but he's also an elite punt returner. Like, this dude's just an elite player. He's one of the, honestly, one of the best players I've ever seen play for Iowa. I've been an Iowa fan my entire life. Again, minus those years I went to UNI because that doesn't count. Because I went to UNI. I chose to go to UNI, so by default, I have to ask all my, all my allegiances to Iowa. I can't do that anymore. But for the rest of my life, watching all these really, 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 really good Iowa players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the secondary, Cooper Jean's one of the best players I've seen at Iowa. I don't even think that's being hyperbolic. I think that's I think most people should be like that. This dude's absolutely insane. And he's going to be a first-round draft pick. And I think the importance of the nickel corner in the NFL nowadays even ups his draft stock. Like, if you don't want to use him as an outside corner, fine. If you want to use him as safety, fine. If you want to use him as nickelback, fine. The way the nickel corner is working now in the NFL, that value in that position is only going to go up. Like, the Buffalo Bills, who we'll get to in a little bit, 
they don't even play with three linebackers. They play strictly with two. Taron Johnson's effectively uh, the Bills' third linebacker. Though he's he's the nickel back, but he's effectively their third linebacker. He makes plays in the run game. He obviously makes plays in the pass game as well. Had a few not great plays against Patriots, but that's not important right now. Yeah, Cooper DeGene's insane. But, like, he went to some podunk Iowa school, and when you're the best athlete at these tiny little high schools, you're going to play quarterback. It doesn't matter how good of an actual, how good you can throw the football. You're going to play quarterback you're the best athlete on the team. You're going to play quarterback. And then I saw today someone post on Twitter him playing quarterback. I was like, oh, my. He actually did. He actually did because I was talking to my dad about that on Saturday. Like, why don't they just put a Cooper DeGene at quarterback? He can't be worse than this. And I, I don't really say that that often. Like, he can't be worse. Cooper DeGene, I don't think, is a worse quarterback than Deacon Hill. I really don't. I don't like Deacon Hill's not even athletic enough to justify like why he's even in there. He can't hit a receiver. He's not athletic enough to make plays in the run play. He did get rocked in the game by which could it should have been an ejection potentially, but he's not a good athlete. He's got an insane arm, but it's not accurate by any stretch of the imagination. So I like Deacon Hill is what people told us. Josh Allen was coming out of the draft. That's what people thought, wanted us to believe Josh Allen was. What Deacon Hill is, that's what people wanted Josh Allen to be. Just minus 100 athleticism. But man, I don't know. That was a rough game. Rough, rough game. You should not be in that situation against Minnesota. That's not what the game should have come down to. That would have been an insane way to end the game, and it was insane for about five minutes, and then it wasn't, and then it was insane for a completely different reason right after that. So it's... It's not, but it's my social media pages have been absolutely dominated by Brady, who's a Cyclone fan, came over and asked him if he saw it, dominated his social feed as well. Like, you see it everywhere. Pat McAfee shows talking about it. Aaron Rodgers talking about it. Like, there's all these different people talking about how insane this is. I have yet to find one person say they agree with this, apart from Minnesota fans. P.J. Fleck went to the press conference and said something about it. What else is he going to say? He defended it. He's not going to say, yeah, I thought it was a penalty. Like, Jared Goff, he was on part of my take not too long ago. And he was talking about the Nikel Roby Coleman pass interference against the Saints. He's like, did the ref call it? No. Well, it's not a pass interference. Like, it's one of those things. Like, what else is he supposed to say? He's not supposed to say, yeah, I thought it was a penalty. Tom Brady with the tuck rule. Like, he's not going to say it was a fumble. He's never going to say that. He never will. Like, P.J. Fleck, obviously, he's not going to go, yeah, I didn't think that was a penalty. I didn't really think he was calling a fair catch. He's going to agree with it. If there needs to be a 30-minute explanation for why you called something... Probably shouldn't have gone back to call it. The worst part about it is that they had this, um, uh, what, oh crap, what's the phrase for it? it? Video evidence. They had, what is the word? I'm completely blanking on what the word is. They, they had insane, insurmountable video evidence to decide to overturn that and put Iowa's offense back on the field, which obviously they weren't going to do anything with it. So I don't know. It, it's, it's insane. It's just a really, Really funny, <laughs> sad, and it's funny in a sad way, funny in a depressing way. Because now I'm looking at Iowa's season, the rest of the, like, a lot differently now. I went into going into the Minnesota game saying they're not going to lose a game. I go in after it saying they could lose all the rest of these games. They keep playing like that. Like, it, it's crazy. And then the Gold Gophers, they brought out the Floyd Rosedale trophy to the Vikings Niners game last night. Like, hey, I'd bring it out too. I would too. I'd show that off every single chance I got. Win a game like that, I'm reminding you forever. And I thought he clearly called a fair catch. That's all they're going to say. Yeah, he clearly called fair catch. Obviously, they're not going to say anything bad against it. 
obviously they're not going to say anything bad against it. Even if they want to, they've been told by all the higher-ups, hey, don't say anything bad about that. Don't say you didn't think it was this. Don't say that. Don't say this. Like, it's just what's going to be. That's just how it works. That's how it works. But it's neither here nor there at this point. Game's over. I was on a bye week this week. They played Northwestern at Wrigley next weekend, and I don't know. I really, I really don't know what to even say about, like, Iowa the rest of the season. I really don't know what to say about Iowa the rest of the season. What the season holds, I think they can still make the Big Ten Championship game, but they're going up against the Northwestern team that beat Minnesota back in September. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, re- I really don't know what to say about it at this point. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, 6-2 and two Iowa going up against 3-4 and four Northwestern. Which Northwestern's better than what I thought they'd be, to be fair to them. I, I didn't think they would be this good at all. Let's just look at the stats real quick. I know, don't, I know I'm not a big proponent of like just looking at stats, but Deacon held 37% completion percentage. I honestly thought it was worse than that, to be honest. 37 and 98. Good God. I bet half of those were to Eric Hall before he tore his ACL. And I say that like jokingly. I it could be real. <laughs> I'm not I'm not like I'm joking, but I'm not joking at the same time. And this isn't saying anything like Matt Nemiro was like a godsend before he got like before he got hurt. Like, but this is this is bad. This is really bad. But for the rest of the college football this last weekend, uh, there was a weird amount of games. It's like really weird moments. Like like you had Washington barely beating Arizona. It was three to seven at halftime. They ended up winning fifteen to seven. Michael Penix had no passing touchdowns and had two interceptions in this game. This is the second time this year that he's had zero passing touchdowns in the game. And the second time this year where he's done that against a team against uh, from Arizona. Did it against Arizona and then did it against Arizona State. Which I guess, to be fair, a lull game after having that emotional game against Oregon was bound to happen. It was just bound to happen. Then you got Texas. You got Quinn Ewers being out for a few weeks. He hurt his shoulder again. And so they got Texas beating Houston 31 to 24, which was really shocking because of the fact Houston has the worst defense in the Big 12. Texas coming off a bye, emotional loss to Oklahoma. They had the week to prepare for it. Worst defense in the Big 12. And they dropped 31 points, still impressive, but allowing Houston to score 24 kind of surprised me. And they got Virginia, who had one win prior to this game against North Carolina. And that one win came against William and Mary. And they beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill. 31-27, Drake May throwing an interception at the end of the game. We'll talk about Drake May in the 2024 NFL draft class here in a little bit. Not the full rankings, but we'll talk. I just want to talk about a few things there. And we got Utah beating USC 34-32. We'll talk about that game in here in a little bit as well. Yeah, just a weird, weird weekend. And then obviously got the Michigan-Michigan State game, which is not surprising that it ended like that. Again, 49-0 is pretty... <laughs> Pretty much what was par for the course of what people were expecting in this game. And J.D. McCarthy, impressive performance. 287 yards passing, four touchdowns. Like, very good game. But I was looking at this the other day, and I was kind of surprised by this. Kind of, but not really surprised by this. The Heisman odds popped out again, which they're going to do every week. J.J. McCarthy is currently the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. He has a plus 240 odds to win the Heisman Trophy. I like J.J. McCarthy a lot, and I agree with what Jim Harbaugh said last week where he's on pace to become Michigan's greatest ever quarterback, and it not greatest quarterback from Michigan. That's a completely different topic, 
Like, Tom Brady obviously is that. But J.J. McCarthy at Michigan is way better than what Tom Brady was. At Michigan, just strictly at Michigan. J.J. McCarthy has a chance this year. Now, we'll see how we'll see if this is possible, given some of the other information we have, to win a national championship. He is on pace. They are currently the betting favorites to win the national championship game. They look really good. They had a few lull moments at the start of the year, like a game against Bowling Green with J.J. McCarthy at three interceptions, games like that. They didn't look great in those first few games of the season, but they have rolled these past couple games. Look at the game against Minnesota. You look at the game against Michigan State. They have rolled in these games. J.J. McCarthy being the Heisman favorite is not surprising in the sense that Michigan is arguably the best team in college football, but it is surprising because I don't think he's the best quarterback in college football. Like, looking at players from a draft aspect versus a college football aspect, those are two completely different categories right now. Like, J.J. McCarthy is on the best team potentially in college football. But he should not be winning the Heisman Trophy. Like, you have arguably, outside of the triple option schools, one of the best rush attacks in college football. I know Donovan Edwards isn't having the most insane year, but still, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards in the backfield with arguably the best offensive line in football. I understand your receivers and tight ends aren't, like, amazing, but this is somewhat on the par with, like, a couple weeks ago when Purdy was the favorite to win MVP. Like, J.J. McCarthy, I I think, is great. He's a very, very good quarterback. This is not necessarily a slight on J.J. McCarthy. I just don't think he's the Heisman Trophy winner. If I had to name my pick mid-season, we're sitting here October 24th. I guess we're a little bit past the midway season point, but... If I had to name my Heisman pick, I'd say probably Jane Daniels from LSU. Jane Daniels has been absolutely ridiculous this year. Like right now, like JJ McCarthy's got good numbers this year. But Jane Daniels, 2,500 yards passing this year. From Jane Daniels, 2,500 yards passing. That is second nationally and is three yards behind Michael Penix, who leads the nation in passing yards. He has 25 passing touchdowns at this point in the season with just three interceptions. Never had a multi-interception game this season. And you look at the game against Ole Miss and the game they lost. Like, obviously, the game against Florida State did not have the greatest performance of all time. Still played solid, but not the greatest performance of all time. We look at the Ole Miss game. 414 yards passing. Season high. Four touchdowns. And they also had 99 yards rushing with a touchdown there as well. He has 521 yards on the ground as well. And this isn't just me just looking at stats. You can go back and look at our draft profiles and all that stuff. Go week by week and see all of our stuff on Jane Daniels. The dude, apart from Michael Penix, probably throws the best deep ball in college football, which is something that I didn't really think I would say when he was at Arizona State. He had all the talent in the world at Arizona State, but just for whatever reason, the passing game wasn't catching up to him. Like He had all the running abilities in the world, but there were like multiple stretches where he would go with no touchdown passes. Uber talented. I remember one time back then, like just from body style, not like... This is when he was at Arizona State. Not that he could have ever reached this level at that time, but we compared him to Lamar Jackson in regards to body style, to running ability, to somewhat question marks over the passing game at that time. Like, college-level Lamar. I'm not saying, like, unanimous MVP, uh, uh, Lamar Jackson, stuff like that. There were some question marks around Lamar as a passer in, in college. And I mean, there's still some for a lot of people out there now, but Lamar looked really good this past weekend against the Lions, who... Thanks, Lions. Minus eight points of fantasy. Lost my fantasy game by seven points. Really appreciate that, Detroit. Thanks for that one. Um, but Jane Daniels playing really good. 
He's playing really, really good. Him and Malik Neighbors have an insane connection this year. I think the other receiver, Brian Johnson, they've had a really good connection as well this year. Like, Jaden Daniels has had a fantastic year. He didn't really need to do a lot this past week against Army. He only threw the ball 15 times, ran it five times, only had six yards rushing, which is by far a season low. But dude's averaging 5.7 yards a carry. 5.7. He has five rushing touchdowns this season. Like, Jaden Daniels has been playing awesome this year for one of the best offenses in college football. Like, you look at against Auburn, a team that put Georgia almost to the sword a couple weeks ago. They beat Auburn 48-18. They breezed past them. Absolutely breezed past them. They steamrolled Mississippi State as well. Jaden Daniels is having a great year, and he hasn't really had that lull game. Like, again, the, the Florida State game was not great. Like, it wasn't the most insane game of all time from Jane Daniels, especially since they lost and got beat by double digits and all that stuff. But Michael Penix, another guy who was running for the Heisman, had two games this year where he didn't register a single touchdown. Against Arizona schools, he has zero touchdowns and two interceptions to his name this season. Against Arizona schools, two teams that might not make bowl games this year. So that kind of puts a lull there. For Caleb Williams, who wasn't even inside the top 10, if I remember correctly, got to go back here. This is week nine college football betting odds from ESPN. Yeah, Caleb Williams is all the way down at plus 6,000 at this point. He's tied with Jalen Milrow and Drew Allar from Penn State and Sam Hartman. Plus 6,000. Oh, he's below. No, he's below Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow is plus 4,000. But the top 10 right now for the Heisman Trophy is J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix, Jaden Daniels, Jordan Travis, Bo Nix, Dylan Gabriel, Marvin Harrison Jr., Drake May, Carson Beck, Quinn Ewers. So Quinn Ewers is now out of it. Because he's hurt. As we saw with Blake Corm last year, Hennon Hooker last year. If you're hurt, you're not going. Doesn't matter. I don't think he was going anyways. But I would give it to I would give it to Jane Daniels. Running ability, the stuff he's improved on as a pass this season, LSU's offense being absolutely insane. Like in those games that like that game against Ole Miss, they lost. They still put up an insane amount of yards. They still put up an insane amount of points. They just happened to come out on the wrong side of the game. He didn't play bad. They didn't lose the game because of Jane Daniels. Jane Daniels played absolutely insane, which is one of the reasons why I say quarterback wins are not a quarterback stat. Wins and loss are team stat. You don't put that all in the quarterback. I put Jane Daniels up there. I think Jane Daniels from a strictly college level is better than J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy, I think, has more tools you could build with. He's a lot younger. Or I say a lot younger. He's younger than Jane Daniels. Similar-ish body types. But I think you can build a lot with J.J. McCarthy. But as of right now, I think Jane Daniels is probably your Heisman Trophy winner. At least to me. To me. I'm not saying you have to agree with that or anything. I wouldn't be shocked if J.J. McCarthy won the Heisman. I wouldn't be shocked. And there's been games this year, multiple games this year. I shouldn't even say games. Just multiple, multiple, multiple games where he hasn't even barely played the second half. So maybe you go like, well, that's why his numbers are so low. But if, what if he played the entire game? So like, well, you can't do that with the Heisman Trophy. It's like, well, this is what his numbers would have been had he played the full game. You can't do that. You can't do that. If it's in butts with candy and nuts, like all that stupid stuff, you can't do that with college football. You can't do that with football in general. You can't play what's it, what ifs with that. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I know Caleb Williams had a rough couple of games. Like you look at the game against Utah. You look at a game against Notre Dame. Did not play necessarily amazing in either one of those games. But to be fair to him, with a terrible defense in his own right, Utah and Notre Dame have very, very, very good defenses. It's not like he was going up against some trash-ass defenses and just didn't look great. No, he looked not 
to that level that we expect him to be at against two top 15 defenses in college football. Against a team in Utah that he's a, that he has struggled against before. Utah is 4-0 in recent games against USC. They're 3-0 when Caleb Williams plays against them. And USC is now clinging for dear life into their top 25 status. They're 24th in the latest AP poll. Not ideal. Not really expect. Not really where USC expected to be at the beginning of the year. Just like, oh, they're competing for national championships this year. Caleb Williams is going to go back-to-back Heisman's and all that stuff. I do think it's funny, though. I do think it's funny to where Caleb Williams has set such an insanely high standard, I guess you could say, that when he has games that make him look normal, people completely write him off. Like, I hate that people go to social media. I understand Caleb Williams is not necessarily the most likable person out there. And I understand why to a certain extent. Like, you got the nails. You got him doing the crown celebration after he scores. Like, I understand to a certain extent why people don't like him. But as a player, the dude is insane. Like, I saw someone say he's one of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history. And he is. Just because he hasn't had a couple... He's had a couple not great games against two elite defenses... That doesn't change my mind about how good of a player Caleb Williams is. It doesn't. USC's defense. I don't, I didn't see Caleb Williams giving up a 26-yard run to their backup quarterback to set them up in field goal range. I didn't see Caleb Williams getting a targeting call to move them to advance the field for Utah. I didn't see Caleb Williams calling a timeout to try and ice the kicker, and Utah was like, oh, shit, we should probably move this ball to the middle of the field. I didn't see Caleb Williams doing that. Again, this is what we talk about with quarterbacks. Wins and loss not being a quarterback stat. Caleb Williams can only do so much. And again, he didn't play amazing. He had a rushing touchdown in this game. And I saw people like, oh, Caleb Williams is so selfish scoring the touchdown. He won the game be all by himself. I don't think he went in there going like, oh, man, this moment's going to be all about me. I'm going to get the winning touchdown and all that stuff. I don't think he was doing that. Michael Penix threw a passing touchdown last week against Oregon with like a minute 15 left, a minute 30 left. And then Oregon marched right down the field. And if it wasn't for a missed field goal, Washington may have lost that game. So it would have gone to overtime. I didn't hear anybody saying that about Michael Penix after that game. Like, if Oregon won that game, are people going to turn on Michael Penix and say he's so selfish for throwing a passing touchdown this late in the game? Or, like, with trying to waste a little time, man. You know, it's a lot easier to do that when you're sitting your ass on the couch. It's a little bit harder to think about that when you're in the moment. And I know a lot of people are like, man, he should know better. You're an elite-level football player. You should know better. Again, the moment... Sometimes it passes over people, and that's fine. It happens. Not everybody's Patrick Mahomes. Not everybody's Todd Gurley going down, ruining my fantasy season. <laughs> I don't even remember what happened at that season. I just remember Todd Gurley getting to like the six yard line after like a fifty yard run and falling over. Like that's <laughs> that's. And it was a smart play. It was a smart play, but not a lot of player. Not every player thinks like that. And if Caleb Williams does that, who knows if USC scores from there? Who knows if they score from there? I don't know. You can't play ifs and buts in college football. Sure, you'd like to. I saw Virginia fumble the ball at the one-yard line. Go out of the back of the end zone. And the North Carolina obviously turned it over on downs after that and lost the game. But I didn't expect that to happen, and it did. Hey, it's football. Crazy things happen in football. But I, don't, I hate that people have started to turn on him like this guy's been asked the entire time. He's been fooling us this whole time. Like... Caleb Williams is still the best quarterback in the draft. I, I hope people do still understand that, right? Because I had Cole text me today. He responded to my Instagram story because I had my, my draft prospect rankings up. 
from week seven. So the previous week, because I posted it late. So I posted on Monday, the, the graphic anyways, and got that posted up. He said, I wouldn't take Caleb Williams overrated. It's like, okay, again, he set such an insane standard that we're holding him to the left. Like, he goes down to earth. Like, Aaron Rodgers. I remember, I'll never forget this quote. Aaron Rodgers once said, my bad games are some people's career games. Like, sad to think about it, there are games that Caleb Williams, that game Caleb Williams had against Utah, some people, that is their best game ever. But since, again, Caleb Williams set such a high standard, he's such a high-profile player, He's very very polarizing. We see him on TV all the time, whether it's Dr. Pepper, Wendy's, and all those stuff. Heisman commercials, Nissan commercials. Like, he's a very polarizing player, so people are going to be quick to turn on that, especially since he plays for USC. But the dude had both hands on the Heisman Trophy two weeks ago, and now he's plus 6,000. Jalen Milrow got benched, and he's got better odds than Caleb Williams to win the Heisman Trophy? Really? You're telling me Jalen Milrow is a better quarterback than than Caleb Williams? You're telling me DJU, who transferred to Oregon State, and I understand Oregon State's a solid team this year, and DJU's having a solid season. DJU is not better than Caleb Williams. Kyle McCord, for goodness sake, good Lord, Kyle McCord is not better than Caleb Williams in any sense of the word. Quinn Ewers is not better. Carson Beck is not better. I understand it's more of a team award rather than an individual award at this point. Like we talked about it like months ago, where you look at the, the Heisman Trophy race, we're not going to see a lot of people win the Heisman Trophy. They go 9-4. and four. Your team has to have a lot of success. Now that USC has two losses, Caleb Williams is now plus 6,000. It's sitting behind some players he's nowhere near with. In regards to, they can't even imagine to get up to the level that he's been at at USC. Like, and I, to, now, to go back on that, we're going to go to the prospect thing. I don't necessarily agree with the... The can't miss, you know, generational thing. I think Caleb Williams is a great player. I think Caleb Williams is one of the best college quarterbacks I've ever seen. But in that same breath, we kind of talked about this on Friday. Caleb Williams does some things that I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of. And if he goes to the wrong situation, if he goes to the wrong coach, I wouldn't be shocked if this play style doesn't work in the NFL. He does hold on the ball a very long time. He does bounce around a lot in the pocket. But when you look at just what he can do with the ball in his hand, it's special. But if you want someone that stays more on script, someone that can just zip the ball everywhere, all over the field, you're probably more of a Drake May guy. And I saw someone on Twitter talking about there's going to be people that really think Drake May is better than Caleb Williams. And Drake May did not have the greatest performance last week against Virginia. He had statistically not a great game, completed around 50% of his passes. But if you go back and watch it again, Drake May did not have a 50% completion percentage type game. There were a lot of throws he made in that game because I went back and watched it today. Here's a lot of throws he made in that game that could have or should have been ended with a catch. There were some insane throws that he made throughout this game. A couple of them in the end zone that were drops or just outside of the reach of the receiver. And you'll see that when we post the blog post. But the gap between Caleb Williams and Drake May, as we've talked about before, is not as massive in regards to draft prospect rankings as people make it seem to be. There are some people out there that say Caleb Williams is the guaranteed number one play, number one quarterback in this draft. I'm not saying I necessarily disagree with that, but I do think that gap is a whole hell of a lot closer than some people like to make it out to be. Because Drake May, though he plays for North Carolina, not the flashiest player in the world, 
I don't think I've ever, like, apart from his interview with Caleb Presley, I don't think I've ever heard him say five words before outside of that. I hear Caleb Williams say five words every single commercial. Again, Dr. Pepper, Nissan, Wendy's, all these different commercials. I've never seen Drake May in those commercials. Drake May can make similar plays in the run game as Caleb Williams. There were some throws Drake May made in this game against Virginia that only two quarterbacks in college football can make, and that's Caleb Williams and Drake May. There were some throws he made in that game. And people want to act like Caleb Williams is far and away the best quarterback. I don't think it's that far. I think Caleb Williams would take a lot for him not to be number one. But that gap is not very big. It's not big. That gap between two and three, in regards to Drake May, two and three is a lot bigger than the gap between one and two. I could see reality where we end up going to the draft with 1A, 1B. And I saw someone on Twitter go like, people like Trubisky over Mahomes. It is not the same as that. It is not the same as that at all. Drake May is a better college quarterback than Mitch Trubisky was. He was. And I liked Drake. I liked Mitch Trubisky at North Carolina. Mitch Trubisky also had only one year starting in college. We saw Drake May do this last year. Drake May is putting up very good numbers. He's got Tez Walker back, which is awesome for him. I don't think the gap's that big. I do think Caleb Williams is number one quarterback in the draft, and it'll take a little bit for him to fall off that. But Drake May is very, very good. Now, about Caleb Williams again, I saw this on Twitter right after the Utah game. Because Utah, again, marched right down the field and scored. 26-yard run, set him up to win the game. Emmanuel Acho, who always has, I guess the best way to describe this is ridiculous takes, always has something like that. Oh, yeah, there, there was that one, too. With 152 on the clock, Caleb Williams selfishly scores a touchdown steal. Oh, the glory of the headlines instead of smart. They wasted time. What happened next? Utah kicks game when he field goes. Time expired. Yeah, explain how that got set up. <laughs> just ignored that. Caleb was just sat on the bench pouting after loss. Never went out and congratulated Bryson Barnes for the amazing comeback win. Real class act, not Heisman material. When he finally got up, he went straight to the locker room, as do a lot of players. I'm sorry. It happens. I'm really sorry to disappoint you, my guy. And he went to the comments to say, maybe I should have said he's not highest material this year because some of you guys read coverage deals and not that great. No, you said not highest material. He already won a Heisman. He already won a Heisman. He's already done that. But then Emmanuel Acho, in his infinite wisdom, I'm trying to find this tweet because I screenshot it because it was so crazy. Where the hell is it at? Was it right after the game I screenshotted it? Where the hell is it at? There it is. With national championship hopes gone, Caleb Williams should consider sitting out the rest of the season. The Heisman is a long shot because college football playoffs are even less likely, and he won't play in the bowl game. The risk of playing far outweighs the reward. Business decision. That is the dumbest take I've seen. And someone also responded that college football is so much more than being an NFL pipeline. Yeah, it is. College football is insane. There's a lot of pedigree in college football. There's history playing with USC. And whether you think Caleb Williams realizes that or not, sitting out an entire season because the playoffs are done, the Heisman's done, all that stuff, that I cannot think of a worse way to get people off your case or back or off your off your side, I guess, than sitting out an entire college football season because you can't win the Heisman, can't win a national championship. Because you're gonna go to the NFL now. Nobody would be happy about that. And you're guaranteeing Drake Mango's number one overall. That's what happens. And then Emmanuel Acho said, 
or, or someone said we need to start having a conversation. The NFL team will per Drake May over Caleb Williams at QB. Yeah, they will, and that's just fact. We've said that this entire offseason. Like that's factual. And then Mary Lacho again. Some teams prefer Trubisky over Mahomes, Je- Josh Rosen over Lamar, Alex Jack, Alex Smith over Rogers. That doesn't make it smart. Okay, it's okay. Whatever. Yeah. Guess what? There weren't guarantees that all those guys hit either. There's never guarantees in the NFL. That was my biggest issue with like the Caleb Williams hype train is that they're guaranteeing success. Trevor Lawrence, if he was with Urban Meyer his entire career, we wouldn't be looking at Trevor Lawrence the same way we are right now. We wouldn't, factually. They, Urban Meyer would have ruined Trevor Lawrence. Coach, scheme, all that stuff, atmosphere, O-line. There's a bunch of different factors that play into a quarterback's success apart from just his skill level. Obviously, skill level is important. And Caleb Williams is insanely talented. But the Bears are not a good football team. And that's the team he looks like he's going to because the Panthers stink. So it looks like he's going to the the Chicago Bears. Whoever their head coach is, whether that's Jim Harbaugh, whether that's Lincoln Riley, whether that's whoever, it's not guaranteed. Let's, let's not get our hopes up that it's guaranteed. It's It looks like it's very likely. Let's pump the brakes on it being 100% guaranteed. And Jim Harbaugh, with all these little... Um, I don't really, really want to say accusations at this point. It's kind of looked like just 100% factual that <laughs> he might be gone from Michigan this season. Connor Stallions, uh, video guy, he is, where, where was the, what was the exact number? What was the exact number? Oh, yeah. New from ESPN, Connor Stallions bought tickets for four different campus games of four CFP contenders last year. There's record of purchases of SEC title game tickets in 2021, 2022. 12 of the 13 Big Ten schools have record of him buying tickets. Who is that one school that they did not buy tickets for to scout? Who is that one team? I'd be willing to bet it's Northwestern, but you never know. <laughs> I want to find If there is one team that did it, they better not say shit. <laughs> if they are that one team, they if everybody comes out and says they did it, then yeah, man, we were, we were really questioning that. We're really questioning the legitimacy of that. But, man, this Michigan thing is kind of freaking crazy. It is pretty ridiculous at this point. <laughs> like, we're talking about, like, Astro. I saw someone say Astros level stuff here. Like, you're talking about getting rid of the Big Ten titles, disallowing wins and stuff like that. Video from last year's Ohio State-Michigan game appears to show Connor Stallion's who is at the center of the alleged science-stealing operation, standing next to UM defensive coordinator. See their pre-snap interaction. There's a video out of it. You can go back on Twitter and find it. Adam King tweeted at AdamKing10TV is the Twitter account if you want to go watch it. And then college football nerd CFB nerds on Twitter said, on the first drive of the game, the UM analyst is speaking to the defensive coordinator. Everyone immediately warns, pass. There's no spin here. This is bad. Like, genuine Astros level, possibly vacate wins bad. So again, like we talked about Friday, we're talking about 2021 Big Ten title going to a completely different school. Again, random, but that's neither here nor there at this point. It's all speculation on what will happen, but all we can say right now, it looks really bad. It does not look good. So with all this stuff going on, I wouldn't be shocked if Jim Harbaugh says, you know what, peace, I'm gone, and goes up to coach the Bears. Like There's a bunch of problems you got going on here. And it, it could get really messy. I don't know how it will affect this season. Like, I don't know if it will affect Michigan going to a Big Ten championship. I don't know if it will affect them going to the playoff. I don't know if it will affect them going to a natty and all that stuff. I don't know how it will affect the rest of the season. But for the past, it don't look great. Let's just put it like that. It really don't look great. 
and you're talking about a certain team in the central Iowa or central uh, central Iowa. They're not even in the central Iowa. I was going to say central part of America. That's going to win a big 10 title. It could be anybody, but there's a specific team there that could do it. That could really do it. And man, it's just, it's just, it's crazy. That Michigan thing's insane. Absolutely insane. Go up and do some research on that one as well, because that is crazy. And we're talking again, Astros level. We're talking about wins getting vacated. Michigan would have two sports get wins vacated. She had the basketball team of the Fab Five getting that stuff vacated. I think they just got it back though, not too long ago. But vacated for a time, and now you got the football team doing it. That's pretty crazy. And you know what? Jim Harbaugh might have been the quarterback at. No, no, no. What am I talking about? He was driving like the eighties. What am I talking about? Fab Five was in the nineties. What am I talking about? <laughs> Um, man, but yeah, Jim Harbaugh going to the Bears, potentially. The two frontrunners for the Bears are looking like Jim Harbaugh and uh, Lincoln Riley. Look like the two likely candidates at this point. Obviously, Ben Johnson from the Detroit Lions will be mentioned up there. is going to be the hottest commodity this offseason in regards to NFL coaches. But Lincoln Riley and Jim Harbaugh, like if Lincoln Riley goes to Chicago, that would be very interesting. Very interesting. Now, defense would go straight down the toilet, but the offense would shoot up like crazy. We look at the Miami Dolphins again. who The Dolphins, who if they play any good teams, get shelled. <laughs> they got blasted by the Bills. And then you got the Eagles beating them on Sunday Night Football. The only two teams that have played they have played that are above 500, they have lost to. That is really funny how that all works out. Lost to the Eagles, lost to the Bills. Now, the Bills are coming off their own loss. They lost to the New England Patriots on Sunday, which is like going into that game, similar story. At this point in time, it's insane to think about. I do not fear the New England Patriots anymore. And you know what makes it even worse? Again, the Patriots beat the Bills on Sunday, and the Bills looked bad. They looked bad. And the Patriots scoring 29 points. I think the final I think they scored 29 points if I remember correctly. I've tried to, like, black out that game. Yeah, 29-25 was the final. Scoring 29 points this season. Just for context, the New Orleans Saints blanked them 34-0. The Dallas Cowboys beat them 38-3. The same Cowboys team that lost to the Arizona Cardinals. Like, they just lost the Raiders 21-17. They had not won a single game at home all year. Granted, they've only played, well, I guess they played three of them. I was looking at the Eagles one was at home too. They played three home games up to this point all year. One of them, they lost 34-0. So the Bills, coming off a rough game against the New York Giants, playing against a backup quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, playing against a backup off the line, playing against pretty much a backup everybody and winning 14-9. Going into this game against the Patriots was kind of like a lot of people, including myself and my dad, was the Bills' like get right game and you know what it was a get right game of sorts but it was the Patriots get right game the Patriots had not scored more than 20 points the entire season and that came week one the next highest they scored was 17 and the Bills who have looked pretty solid at times on defense this year allowed the Patriots to not only score 29 points but allowed a massive halfback screenplay to get them down the field to set up the eventual game-winning touchdown. Now, I think it's kind of crazy. We're talking about make-up penalties. They got the, the, the fair catch thing in Iowa. 
You got the withdrawing of the illegal man downfield with David Andrews about 10 yards down the field when the ball is going forward before he's even left his hand. That's that's illegal. You can't pick up that flag, but they did anyway. So that's neither here nor there. I don't want to use that as an excuse for the Bills because they looked like garbage. You're going up against a 1-5 Patriots team who has not won a single game at home all year. Their only win came against the Jets. 15-10. Like, they've looked bad. Again, a team that got blanked 34-0 by the Saints. A team that lost 38-3 to the Cowboys. I don't want to make an excuse for this game at all. Because there's no reason they should have been in that situation to begin with. There's no reason under the under the sun. Like, there's none that you could say that is the that the Bills should ever, in this current landscape of the NFL, should ever be losing the New England Patriots. Ever. And it didn't help the fact Josh Allen throws interception first play of the game. Very first. Very first. First, I get Bill's first play of the game. Not first play of the game because Patriots got the fall first. First play of the game for the Bills, interception. And it was like, okay, well, it'll have, it'll, they'll bounce back. I mean, it's a Patriots team without Matthew Judon. This is a Patriots team without Christian Gonzalez. Like, this is a Patriots team that's not good at all. This is a bad Patriots team. I think Jabril Peppers got the interception, if I remember correctly. I've tried to black out this game from my memory brain. See, I was Jabril Peppers. But I couldn't re- I couldn't record a show Sunday because I was depressed. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't record a show for this. I couldn't record a show about the Iowa game. I couldn't record a show about nothing. I just sat on my couch. I met up with some friends, got some Indian food, ate my problems away, played the logo game. That's how I ended up my Sunday. I could not sit there talking about this Bills game. I would get too upset. I needed a few days to process everything that happened between the Hawkeye game and the Bills game that I I couldn't record on Sunday. But this Bills game, similar to that of Minnesota, there's no reason the Bills should be losing to the New England Patriots. This this version of the New England. Obviously, throughout the my entire life, it's been the Patriots absolutely shit-rocking the Bills. I understand that. But for here and now, given where both teams stand, the Bills won three straight division titles. They should not be anywhere close to the New England Patriots. This was a get-right game, but the other team got right. How do you have a get-right game and the team you're supposed to be getting right against has their get-right game against you? How the hell does that happen? This is Mac Jones. This is a Mac Jones who we were talking about getting benched for not only Bailey Zabby, but Malik Cunningham two weeks ago. He got benched in back-to-back games and had the best game of his career. Career, I shouldn't say career. No, 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 no. Best game of the year, sorry, against the Buffalo Bills. Best game of the year against the Buffalo Bills. With the Patriots defense line. A Bills defense that has gotten, what was it, 21 sacks up to this point in the season? 22 sacks up to this point in the season? What? I I need to, the main question here, what the hell happened after the Dolphins game? What the hell happened after that game? Because we went on this show and we talked about after the Dolphins game, that was the perfect game. What the hell happened? Where is that team? Because they weren't there against the Jaguars, they weren't there against the Giants, and they weren't there against the Patriots. The past two weeks, the teams that they had played before last week had a combined record of 2-10. and 10. Aggregate score-wise, what? I think it's tied. They might have a one-point advantage against two teams that are combined 2-10, and 10, or were. Now they both won this past week. The Giants beat the Commanders this weekend. Patriots obviously beat the Bills. So the Bills scored 14 points. They had 39 points in total. Patriots, 9 points. Yeah, okay, 30-39. So the Bills have a one-point advantage 
against two teams that have a combined, had a combined two wins when they played them. What happened after that Dolphins game? Someone please explain to me what happened there. And what the hell has happened to Josh Allen? What the, like, I, the dude this entire year, like, the entire offseason, and up to this point in his career, I have always said, I want the Bills to have a running game. They need to have another threat in the run game apart from Josh Allen. They need to have somebody that can at least take the pressure off of Josh in the run game. Like, to set up a play action. The Bills are one of the best play action teams in the NFL. At least they were. I don't know if they still are to this point. But with James Cook playing like he has, apart from the Jaguars game, when they give him the ball and allow him to break off a 13-yard run before never giving him the ball again. Like, I I wanted that, but I didn't mean completely neuter Josh Allen and say, hey, never run the ball again. The Jets game, like, going back in hindsight, looking back at it, that and we brought it up at that time, it is being coached out of him not to run the football anymore. He's not doing it. There are multiple times in this game and all the other games they've played this year where he's just not running the football. You look at the game against the Jets, going back to that first interception, the one where he threw to try, he was trying to hit Devontae, Deontay Hardy down the middle of the field, threw to double coverage, got picked off by Whitehead. The first one, because again, Whitehead got three interceptions that game. He had nothing but fake turf in front of him for miles. He could have probably, he could have maybe scored. Probably not, but there's a chance he could have. Why he got up to the line of scrimmage and threw it downfield. Why was he not running that ball? Josh Allen, that we have seen up to this point in his career, would run that ball. Josh Allen not only is not running the ball anymore, he's not shit-talking anymore. He's not being all animated on the sidelines anymore. He's sitting there, and when they're losing, he's doing nothing. Like, I saw someone on Twitter post a gif of him after the Chiefs game, or during the Chiefs game, where he's, like, freaking out on the side, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, after they took the lead. They said, what happened to this guy? That tweet is, like, 4,000 likes to this point. What happened to Josh Allen? What, because Josh Allen that we have seen so far this year, apart from the Dolphins game and the and the Raiders game, apart from those two games, this is not Josh Allen. He's not running the ball. It's not that he can't. He clearly can't. He's just not doing it. He, it's like a, a an effort not to run the ball at this point. Like, I've always wanted him to have some sort of help in the run game. I didn't mean completely cut him off in the run game. Like, this isn't Josh Allen. You're making Josh Allen, like, anti-Josh Allen. Like, I will take the turnovers. I can take that as long as he's making other plays in the game. Like, he go, he throws the interception, and he just goes sits on the sideline. Nobody talks to him. No coach is getting on him. No one's doing anything to Josh Allen at this point. And sometimes, like, when Diggs freaked out at him after the Bengals game, more people need to do that sometimes. It needs to happen. That's why after it happened, I had no issue with it. I still have no issue with it. I have nothing negative ever to say about Stephon Diggs because more people on this team need to do that. This team is 4-3. and three. What did we say through the early parts of the season? What did we say before the season started? This is their easy part. They haven't even gotten to the hard part of their schedule yet, and they're 4-3. and three. They have lost the Jets and Patriots, the Jets team without Aaron Rodgers. Like, I would accept that loss if it was Aaron Rodgers there. They lost to the Jets without Aaron Rodgers. They lined up in 13 personnel the entire game and said, we're not going to try and win, but if we do, sick. That's what they did the entire time. And guess what? They won the game. Sick. So you got the Bills 4-3, and losing two of their last three games, 
barely beat the Giants, with some people even saying they shouldn't have beat the Giants, which at this point, I don't really care if they beat the Giants. They didn't deserve to beat the Giants. Obviously, I'm more happy that they beat the Giants. But it was that weird feeling after a game where you're like, man, they beat the Giants 14-9? 14-9 against the Giants? You look at their next games. So they got the Buccaneers Thursday Night Football. So we're not going to have a show Friday. Sorry about that. So we're not going to have a show Friday because we play the Buccaneers. I'll watch that with my dad at the keg stand. But then after that, at Cincinnati, night game. You got the Jets again. They played this time in Buffalo. You got at the Eagles. Then you're blessed with the bye week, yeah. You go to the you go to Kansas City. So you got the Eagles on the road, Chiefs on the road. And the next week you have the Chiefs, you play the Cowboys, who still, after having some weird games, have the best defense in football, at least fantasy-wise. <laughs> then you go to the Chargers, which could be a hard game or it could be a really easy game. Just depends on what Chargers team shows up. And you got at Miami on January 7th. And you play the Patriots again, a team you already lost to. Like, this is supposed to be the easiest portion of the season. This is supposed to be the part where you stack wins. And you lose into the Jets without Rodgers and the Patriots. The Jaguars game, I can I can stomach that. I That one doesn't really bother me that much. Especially given with the gift of hindsight. It doesn't really bother me. But that Patriots game hurts. That Patriots game is brutal. The only thing I could say about that Jaguars game, it sucked having all the players get hurt. Whether it's Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, whatever. It, it sucked doing that. But apart from that, I, I've kind of accepted that loss. I It will take a while for me to accept this Patriots loss. Because they looked like shit. They looked bad. They still scored 25 points. They looked bad. And now we're at the point in the season, which we have talked about loosely before. I've never fully entertained the idea. But at this point, it's kind of got to start becoming a discussion. Does Sean McDermott get Andy Reid? And for those of you who don't know what that means, Andy Reid went to, I think, three NFC Championship games with the Eagles. Three or four. Got fired. Regular season success through the roof. Just couldn't get it done in the playoffs. At this point, the Bills are barely having regular season success. They beat the Commanders, Raiders, Giants, and blasted the Dolphins. They've lost the Jets, Patriots, and Jaguars. And they barely beat the Giants at that. Since that Dolphins game, where we said was the best game Dorsey's ever had in Buffalo, they've had three of the worst games he's ever had in Buffalo. Followed up right after the best game. I don't know how that happens. But we have to start having that conversation of, do the Bills actually entertain the idea of moving on from Sean McDermott? Bryce Harbour almost hit a home run. Loud out. Loud out to the warning track. 3-2 Diamondbacks, sorry. We're in the bottom of the fifth inning. But that idea has to start creeping into people's heads. And they just said today, Dorsey says McDermott has a say in the offense. Why the hell is that becoming a thing? Why does Sean McDermott, a defensive-minded head coach, who is holding the scissors, neutering Josh Allen as we speak, why is that what's happening right now? Dorsey, to this to this point, has had his best game in the Dolphins and some of his worst games. He's passed three games. He was up and down immensely last year but like even last year you had games against the freaking Rams and Titans and then you go and drop an absolute shit show against the freaking Dolphins like how does this not stay consistent like this offense is so up and down as the potential to be supernova 
and then goes has the potential to be the worst in the league at the same time. It's so up and down, so wavy. And Josh Allen, they're just telling him not to be Josh Allen. Sometimes he needs to get punched in the mouth on the field, and that will wake him up. Taking a big hit, you can go watch it back to some mic'd ups that he's done. He takes a big hit, it's like, I love that shit. Oh, yeah, I love it. Now we're not seeing that. He's not saying anything at any point at any time. Like, statistically, he's up there with Patrick Mahomes. Cool. He's not playing like it. I don't think Josh Allen's the MVP. I don't even know who I would say is the MVP of the league at this point. I don't even know. I don't even know what the MVP leader is. Like, what are the MVP odds at this point? Who is the leader? I I honestly have no idea. This hasn't been a great year for MVPs, unless I'm like forgetting people. Lamar, I could see Lamar being up there. I guess. I don't want defensive rookie NFL MVP. Mahomes, Hurts, Tua, Lamar, Josh. That's the top five. Could you say Mahomes is the MVP at this point? Could you really say that? I know the Eagles are uh, undefeated right now, but before Sunday, Jalen Hurts had seven touchdowns and seven picks, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right or wrong in saying that? I got to go Google that real quick. He threw one against the Dolphins on Sunday. Nine touchdowns, eight interceptions. He's second in the league. He's second in the MVP race right now. Like, I don't know who you would honestly say is the MVP elite. I would probably lean towards Lamar Jackson, I guess. Ironically, that we compared him and Jaden Daniels when he was at Arizona State, like the potential-wise. Ironically. Eight touchdowns, three picks. I mean, he has less interceptions than Josh and Mahomes. Who Josh has seven, Mahomes has six. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just frustrated. But the the conversation about I've seen people call him McDummy on Twitter. Sean McDermott called get called McDummy. He has the he's the all time he has the all time highest win percentage of the regular season Bills history, but they fall apart in the playoffs. And I brought this up before. This is why we were all for Leslie Frazier getting gone. Was the fact you look at these past few playoff trips, they have been out coached in every single one of them. Every single playoff loss they have, they have been absolutely out coached. Every single one of them. Like that 2022 or 2021 game, sorry, the AFC division, the AFC wild divisional round game, sorry, Chiefs Bills, the overtime game, the 13 second game. That was the Bills' best chance to win a Super Bowl, was that that team. Which is crazy to think about. That team lost to Urban Meyer Jaguars, which is insane to think about, but that was the best team that, that this group has had. Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, that's the best team the Bills have had. That was the best version of Josh Allen was that year. And then poof, 13 seconds. I don't think Dable, like you watch the post game after the Bills Giants game, Dable and McDermott basically just gave each other a pat on the back and left. And it wasn't like a multiple tap, let's talk a little bit, like hug, bro hug, tap, tap back, like all that stuff. No, it was basically like shake hands, pat, gone for both of them. I don't think Dable forgives McDermott for how that was handled. Whether you want to look at Tyler Bass booting the ball to the back of the end zone, whether you want to look at playing prevent defense with three timeouts and all that stuff, whatever way you want to look at it, I don't think Dable forgives any of those guys for what happened in that game, the defensive side of the ball. I don't think he does. That team could have won a Super Bowl. And I know it's crazy to say that the Bengals ended up beating the Chiefs the next game, but still, that Bills team, their first playoff AFC championship game hosting since the 90s, like, that would have been an insane trip, and that was their year to do it, and 
it's like feels like it's slipping away. And every single week I watch, I'm like just up in the air on what could happen. The past two weeks should be walking the park games. Giants-Patriots. Those should be two easy, easy games. Rough game against Jacksonville. Come back in those two games. Dominate against two terrible teams. And guess what? You lose both of them. Or should, like mentally lose both of them. Giants had no offensive linemen. Justin Pugh literally got called in off the couch. Had to move to tackle because their backup left tackle got hurt in the game against the Bills. Tyrod Taylor's playing. Love Tyrod Taylor, but still. Giants defense, not great. Patriots, without Judon, without Christian Gonzalez. Mac Jones has been benched two times this year already. And you lose. Like, I'm not... I, I like I love Sean McDermott for what he's done up to this point for the Bills. He obviously was the head coach that broke the playoff streak and all that stuff. But, man. Like, the easy things to blame Dorsey. It, like, you can see why. But everything... If McDermott's really got his hands in the offense and Josh is not playing like Josh Allen, then we're going to have some problems. This team might... I, I hate thinking about this. This was the easy part of the schedule. At this point, I wouldn't be too shocked if they missed the playoffs. I wouldn't be shocked at this point. I know it's all doom and gloom over here on the Logan Blackman show, but that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. You lose like that to the Patriots... Like, sure, you could look at the score and say 25-29. You scored 25 points. It's impressive. No, they did not play good. They did not play good. Defense gave up a massive screen play that set it up. You allowed Matt Jones to have the best game of his career. Again, a Matt Jones that got benched twice this point. I wouldn't be shocked if they lost. They missed the playoffs because those games against the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the, the Bengals, like all these games were like the three of those games are on the road. Like the Chiefs, Eagles, and Bengals are all on the road. Chargers are on the road. However you want, however difficult you want to make that one look, that they're all on the road. The only hard game that they have at home is against the Cowboys. And they got to play the Dolphins on the road again. Like I don't know, this Bucks game scares me. I don't, I I even saw some Baker Mayfield not, might not even play. It scares me. I'm like I'm with my dad right now. My dad's week to week at this point. They were 15 and a half point favorites against the the Giants. They won. They scored 14. They didn't even score how much they were projected to cover by. They're supposed to, they're eight and a half point favorites against the Bucks. <sighs> Lord knows that that happens. I just want to see Josh Allen play football again. I I they're completely changing the way he's playing, and it's insanely frustrating and insanely painful to watch as well. So we'll see if that corrects this week. But yeah. Bill, the Bills are not a good football team right now. I saw NBC Sports power rankings. I think the Bills were 12th or 13th. That feels accurate at this point. I can't really, like, vehemently, like, d- uh, dispute it. I can't. I've watched it. <laughs> I've watched it. So, yeah, I don't know. But we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. But I'm. it's looking bleak. As I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but... That Patriots game sucks a lot of life out of you. You're a 15 and a half point favorite. One week against the Giants, you win by, you score 14 points. And you go in the next week in your get right game. And the team that you were supposed to get right against gets right against you. That's not the greatest feeling in the world. So forgive me for being all doom and gloom. But yeah. Josh Allen rushed attempts per game. 2018, 7.4. 2019, 6.8. 2020, 6.4. 2021, 7.2. 2022, 7.8. Playoffs, 7.9. Career, 6.8. 2023, 
2023, 4.1. 4.1 carries a game. This year. That is insane. I want to see how much that one tweet has. 7-1 blitz. Because it's 7-1-6. That's the Buffalo area code. How many likes does that tweet have right now? And Josh Allen said he needs to stop thinking and just start doing, and I, I agree with that. Uh, not That's not as much as I thought. 2,300. Almost 2,400, but... Yeah, I saw the Eagles trade for Kevin Byard. They saw a problem area. They went out to fix it. Always aggressive in the trade market. Bills sit on their hands and then do absolutely nothing and bring back Josh Norman. They get a corner problem. Guess what? They're not going to try and trade anybody. They're going to try to trade for Josh Norman, who was washed when he was last on the Bills. And now they think that him not being on the team for the last year is going to make him better again. Not even dressed last game, which is not surprising. But, yeah, get Josh Norman off the couch. Eagles trade for Kevin Byard. That fits. It really fits what's going on right right now, but I don't know. I do not know, but hey, it's fun to think about, right? Fun to think about the rest of the season. Go. This NFL season has been weird. Football in general has been weird this season. Like, you got the freaking Niners, who we thought were unbeatable last week, lose to the Browns, and then the following week, Purdy looks like portions of Iowa State Purdy and lose to the Vikings. I didn't never thought I would see in an NFL game. I understand Debo Samuel's out. But I never thought on the last drive of the game where you're going down to clinch a game-winning drive, Ray Ray McLeod would be the main target. I think he was targeted every single pass Purdy had on their last drive of the game. And then obviously the pick. Both Purdy's picks came when he was trying to throw across the field. We've talked about this before. Purdy has, like, no arm strength comparatively to the rest of the NFL. So to see him try to throw across his body was like, what do you – who who do you think you are? I know you're a good quarterback and everything, but let's settle down. Let's stay within ourselves here. <laughs> let's not try to force the issue here. Like Vikings, hey, without Jordan, without Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison looked freaking awesome. Which is you know what we expect because Jordan Addison's a freaking awesome wide receiver. He's good at obviously great at Pitt, good at USC. Didn't put up insane numbers at USC, but put it like 1500 yards receiving at Pitt in one season. Won the Bolitnikoff Award and all that stuff. Looked awesome. Looked awesome. Stole stole an interception from Traverius Ward after he stole a catch from him earlier. Not only stole an interception, scored a touchdown in it. Kirk Cousins looked really good in this game as well, barring the interception, which again, you can't really like say, man, Kirk, what a terror. I mean, you could go that route because maybe you want to think Kirk wouldn't, shouldn't make that throw, but Traverius Ward ripped it right out of the hands of Jordan Addison. But hey, Purdy looked bad. It was probably the worst game of his career up to this point against the Vikings defense. It has not been great up to this point. And you got the Brown, the Niners defense, who, again, led Addison to have 123 yards at two tutties. Kirk Cousins almost had 400 yards passing in this game. But, yeah, crazy week. Crazy week. We had North Carolina losing to Virginia. We had the Bills losing to the Patriots. And the Vikings beating the 49ers. You had the Dolphins losing to another team above 500. And you had the Ravens shit-stomping the Lions. Again, thanks, Lions, for the negative eight points. Again, lost my game by seven. Cheers for that one. Jeez. And they had the Falcons beating the Bucks, Giants beating the Commanders 14-70. had the Browns beating the Colts 39-38 with P.J. Walker getting back in a quarterback. Tyson Bajan and the Bears beat the Raiders 30-12. It was kind of expected the Raiders to lose that game. They were starting Brian Hoyer. They were, they were, they were admitting defeat going into that game anyways. Tyson Bajan, though, looked pretty solid. Peterman went in, so good on them. They knew what was going to happen if they didn't play Peterman. Put him in for a short period of time, get strips that fumble and all that stuff. But they put him in. Football guys saw that, so you know what? That works. And Bajant leads in the victory. We had the Chargers losing the Chiefs 31 17. 
Mahomes, four touchdowns in the game. Looked good. Travis Kelsey, 179 yards receiving. Charger killer. He always has been, always will be. And, yeah, uh, it's it's a weird, weird football season. Very weird. We have Michigan sign stealing. We got the Bills sucking ass. <laughs> oh, my God. I love football, but I also hate it at the same time. It absolutely kills me. It absolutely kills me. I've seen discussions about Tyra Taylor being better than Daniel Jones, which we already have talked about on the Logan Blackman show. But Daniel Jones has a lot of money tied to him, so obviously they're going to start Daniel Jones. But we shall see if Brian Dable keeps the former Bill. Obviously didn't coach him in Buffalo, but former Bill nonetheless, two former Bills with each other in New Jersey. So, yeah, I'm excited to see how that one turns out. I would like to see Tyrod be the full-time starter there. I'd like to see it. But do I have anything else I'm really dying to talk about today? Not really, I guess. Not not necessarily. I mean, we got the Diamondbacks still beating the Phillies five to or five, three to two. We're going to the bottom of the sixth, I think. It just went to commercial. I don't remember exactly what they did. But yeah, college football, NFL, fun stuff, but also extremely painful. And like my dad said today, I really wish I didn't care, but I do. I say that about fantasy football as well. My team is not one in six. But it is, but it's not. It shouldn't be one and six. Thanks again. Thank you, that lines. Appreciate that. But with that being said, I think I'll end it here. Yeah, yeah, we'll end it here. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. Hope we better. Hopefully, we be better next time. Hopefully, all my teams will be better this week. Hopefully, the Bills beat the Buccaneers on Thursday Night Football. Lord knows, I'm not gonna say anything about that game. I'm not going to say anything. I said the Pagers game should be easy. I said the Giants game should be easy. And guess what? Neither one of them were, and they lost one of those games, won the other one by five. So guess what? We're not saying shite about this Buccaneers game. So, yeah, it'll be one of the games of all time. Let's just put it like that. So with that, I'll see you guys later. Enjoy the rest of your week. Wait to see the the quarterback prospect rankings come out on hopefully Friday. That's the hope. That's the hope anyways. And I will see you guys later. Peace.